Our God has been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen, he doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with trees. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whispers. Welcome to the God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. And I'm Bill Swirlow. We got some new gear. Oh, yeah. That's uh, double redundancy, <laughs> <clears throat> Tascam recorders galore. New guitar center in the area. Had to go and uh, hit the big sale. Well, we, we, we proved the, the maxim that, that when things aren't working, the best thing to do is to just go and buy more gear. Right. Um, we, we had technical. We were going to have well, a guest from the South Pole. Yeah. Now this is this is big, and this is this this really the qualifies. Anti Santa. <laughs> this really. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yes, we we were going to hear from the anti Santa uh, Rick down at the South Pole. Yeah. Uh, our 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 southernmost listener, as far as I can tell, and uh, that was all set up. In fact, you did talk to you talked to him, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, just briefly to tell him we're. We're goofed up. Uh, but I, I screwed up, and I failed to bring the digital recorder down uh, from the northern parts here. And so um, we decided to go shopping. And a uh, new guitar center opening up in Orange County. And we took advantage. And, and we, Boy, I'm, I'm recording really hot. Are you doing did. okay over there? <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm not too bad. We're I'm, probably going to end up with your recording instead of that. Me. Could I'm, yeah. I'm planning on that. So anyway, we are the world-famous God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. He's Bill Swirla. It's Advent, and it we're is listening Advent. to Ann Dudley. I love this hymn. Yeah. I've got about six different versions of this, so I'm just going to kind of like bore you to death. Okay. I don't mind. How's your Advent going so far? Advent, so far, so good. Uh, we had our first midweek service, evening prayers, and uh, I'm doing readings from Luther's Christmas book. Yeah. <laughs> Funny you should mention oh, it. Oh, hey, look, you got I have. One too. I brought one with me. Roland, yeah. Roland Bainton's. Right. Um, Mine has a white cover. Well, that, I think I've had this. Book. I've had this for eons. I have that one too somewhere. Yeah, I don't know where. This is a really cool book. It's it's Martin Luther's it Christmas start, book. Start with the Annunciation there. Yeah, yeah. A- edited edited by Roland Baton. Um, I think I got it free through Lutheran Brotherhood. Now Thrivent, yeah. not the dog food company. Dog yes. food company. Well, I, th- I always thought Thrivent sounds like a dog food company, or or oh. or some kind of vitamin supplement. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. Or lawn lawn care product does does kind of have an Amway feel about Thrivent for the green lawn, even even in the off season. Um, this copy of Martin Luther's Christmas book is distributed through Lutheran Brotherhood, a fraternal benefit society like the Masons. Now, to me, it always <laughs> seemed that AAL was like the Missouri Synod it, one, it, yes, and Lutheran was. Brotherhood was the Elka one. That's right. Well, this is published by Augsburg, Minneapolis. Right. Uh, and uh, but uh, this is this is the work of uh, renowned Reformation scholar Roland H. Bainton. Bainton, B A A, who was not a Lutheran. Seriously. 
Yeah, I think it was like professor of church history, Yale Divinity Quaker S- Yale something. Divinity School, and author of numerous books, including "Here I Stand: A Life of Martin Luther," which, up until uh, Kittleson's book, Luther the Reformer, came out, was probably the most accessible one-volume biography of Luther. Uh, that, that was the first one I ever read. Was Bainton's uh, "Here I Stand." Uh, life of Martin Luther. He, but he, he was one of the foremost Luther scholars, and I, I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm, I'm going to the all-authoritative <laughs> Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, that's gotten us in trouble before. <laughs> and, uh, but, but this is a great book, um, and, and uh, I would recommend getting a hold of this and just making it kind of devotional reading as, as we approach Christmas or during the Christmas season. Uh, what this is, Bainton was a, 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 a... Congregationalist. Oh, no kidding. He was ordained a congregationalist minister, but he never served as a pastor. No, professor of church history at Yale. Yeah, but he was um, ordained as a con- congregationalist. Translator of Luther, too, if I'm not mistaken. And what he's done is he's taken... Um, excerpts from Luther's Christmas sermons preached around the time of Christmas and Epiphany and that, and uh, brought them all together with some nice Durer woodcuts. You know, you can't do a Luther sermon book without Durer woodcuts. No, that would be, well, Durer is our man. You you could do it with some Cranach stuff. The Elder? Yeah. I don't know. You could. Just saying. But but it's the the the, uh, the headings are Annunciation, Visitation, Nativity, Shepherds, Herod, Wise Men, Presentation, and From Heaven High. Um, I've used uh, ex- excerpted paragraphs for this in our Christmas Eve uh, readings and carol service as well. But these are sermons from Luther, and and I think Luther preaching at Christmas is some of the finest Luther around. Just just for for devotional homiletics. Well, that, and it's also very accessible on the lay level, I, I think. You know, it's not like uh, some of the more technical stuff that you get from Luther. It's, it's understandable even for the young. Well, it's a, it's, these are sermons. It's like the large right. catechism, you know. It, it's intended for the so-called common folk. Well, I love Luther's sermons that ramble on for... 15 pages, 20 pages, and, and that's a short one kind of thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, this is it's, it's strange you should mention that. I just brought, I just brought this along. Uh, I thought maybe in upcoming weeks we might read a few excerpts from, uh, from Luther here. He has, a, he has a real knack, I think, for um, not so much embellishing the text, but for making the contextualizing the text, if I may use a current uh, missional emergent kind of word. Okay. You know. Speaking of uh, missional kind of words, nice. we, could, we, could go, we could segue into our Skype call pretty easily with that kind of thing. Let's do that. Yeah. Well, let's, let's do the housekeeping first. Housekeeping. Uh, if you want to call and leave a message on the Skype for us, 626-593-7713 or Manly Doctors 13. Spells the same thing. And uh, mailbag there? Mailbag, godwhispers at gmail.com. And we do have some great email. I mean, the, the, the listeners have responded to our plea. Yes. If not our threat or our accusation that, well, the, that our lack of content is due to their lack of participation. I, I found that... Our, our little passive-aggressive victimizing moment. Our, our, uh, <laughs> our listeners seem to write better than they speak. For the most part, we get a few good calls. You're saying, you're saying that the, the, the email bag is, is somewhat more profitable than the Skype line? Yeah, I'm kind of getting that feeling. Plus, mm. the email's free. Yeah. Whereas we got well, it's, it's, it's actually year. via the Facebook that, that, we, being me, that uh, we discovered our southernmost listener at the South Pole, yes. Rick, the anti Santa Claus. Anti Santa. Anti-Santa. That, that, that's great. He's I here. hear Santa summers at the South Pole. <laughs> well, if Santa's at the North Pole, then the anti-Santa must be at the South that's Pole. That's what I'm right? saying. Right there. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, did, Would now, that make him an Aryan? No, I think he just covers the Southern Hemisphere. Oh, okay. See, well, we get the Northern guy. I mean, since St. Nicholas this way. punched Arius, now, I'm, no, I'm thinking, no, no, You're thinking all wrong. Uh, what season is it? Right now for our southernmost listeners. Well, it's summer. Summer. Yeah. So, so, see, whereas our Santa uh, goes around in a sleigh wearing yeah, this heavy minute, fur yeah. coat and all of this stuff, their Santa goes around in Hawaiian shirts and pair of cargo shorts, and uh, basically he kind of chills at the beach with a Mai Tai. Well, I get a feeling at the South Pole it's not exactly warm right now. Warmer. 
Puberty again. Man, wow. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and take this Skype call, shall we? We shall. Shall we? Yeah, go ahead. Shall we? Yeah, do you have oh, God, Whisper. Oh, here we go. Hello. I have a question for you today. There you go. I have noticed that sometimes it seems that Lutherans try to jump on each other uh, more than other people do. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, so I read an I've never been to a Southern Baptist Convention. Church by some Lutherans uh, for developing a multi-site model. And no one else seems to really think that was a problem, but it was people within their own Senate that were attacking it. There's another example I know of where a Lutheran church opened up a coffee shop, and the main criticism was coming from within Lutheran ranks. Why is it that Lutherans seem to be so against one another when ministry is being done in a way that they might not have done it themselves? Sometimes it seems that people are so connected to the way that ministry was done in the past that they're not really willing to examine how the gospel might be proclaimed and the sacraments might be rightly administered in the future. Is this a uh, is there a reason for this? Is this something you guys have? All right. Uh, thank you. And hopefully my son's squawking. Did not destroy the quality of this. Bye. Stop pinching that kid. <laughs> Is it? It's just like when you're preaching and the kids sort of, you know, chiming off in the right. in the back pews. Have you ever caught yourself kind of waiting? Oh I, yeah, I, that little microsecond. Yeah, you, you try to get a bunch of words in in between the screams. Right. Right. <sighs> Anyway, uh, interesting question. Why, why do Lutherans jump all over each other like no one else? I mean, has he ever been to a gathering of the Southern Baptist <laughs> Convention? I've heard from eyewitnesses, people who come out of that communion, if I may use that term, uh, with the Southern Baptists, that, that he has borne witness to open fist fights. Nice. Now, when was the last time we had one of those? There have been a few that I'd like to punch. Yeah, well, but there's restraint. There's I, I still like the one district convention that we had where we, we uh, were asked for everyone to extend their right arm in a blessing to those who have been elected. And and I commented, and, this many Germans with an r- extended right <laughs> arm is really making me nervous. And so the second time they did it, I, I kind of under my breath went, Z Kyle. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, well. Uh, which lends to, uh, <clears throat> I think, the beginning of an answer. If we're going to shape an answer to why Lutherans seem, and I want to talk about his specific example right. of it. Right. But I think, regardless of the example, in his case, was just alternative ways of setting up church. Well, is it, is it alternative ways of well, doing well, outreach or of setting up church? But, but, See, but hold and, off and on it. That's one of the things that I'm Hold I'm off keen on, on it here. for a second. Okay. Hold on. I think before you say anything else. Yeah. Is you have to say, we're German enough said. Well, I'm Italian and Irish, and I don't get it. Yeah, well, that's why you don't get it. <laughs> okay, I'm half German. I do get it. You kind of get it. You're, we you like get it. We like a good bar fight. I mean, we're not as good as the Irish on this, Come but on. Germans in a bar fight? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Germans see they a, love rules and order. They love war. They do like war. Yeah. I mean, they see a war brewing, and they ask, you know, is this a private war? Can anybody join in? Yeah, but they like to make the rules. Is and start the, the war. Yeah, and start the war. Yeah, well, I'm, there you go. It, it, this is with contrary people. <laughs> difficult people. Very much so. <laughs> Very much so. And not a happy drunk, too. So, you know, that's another problem. Yeah. You know, the French, they get drunk. They, they, they just commit adultery. Right. You know, the Germans, they get drunk. They start a war. Yeah, that's kind of the pretty German much. Way. They burn a village down. So he talks so, so, about, but 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 yeah, you know, that's ahead. I think go the first on, thing is on, is go. that we're we're German. Yeah. Um. And and from that, it, Lutherans are also I think feisty. That is, we we like to we like to argue about everything. I think it, it's a little bit like the U.S. justice system is that we believe that truth is arrived at through adversarial argumentation. See, 
I think okay. we honestly believe. I think Lutherans honestly believe. And it's just this, you know, there's a little bit of Martin Luther in everybody, or at least their version of Martin Luther, where everybody wants to nail his 95 stupid theses up on some church door and then, and then go and excommunicate somebody who's got 96. We, we, we like this. You know, it's in our genes. Um, I, you know, I heard that during World War II, or, you know, before World War II, that one of the reasons that the Germans hated the Jews was the Jews would haggle. And they'd come in your shop, and they'd, they'd say, well, that block of cheese is, uh, you know, five, five marks. I'll give you four. Yeah, right. And the Germans would say, no, it's five. That's the price right there. And all the other Germans come in and pay five. But then these Jews come in and want to start haggling. Like some and Armenian the, rug dealer. And, th- and that's one of the reasons that I'm told that, not the reason, but a reason that the Jews were hated was because they're always haggling. They're always, they, uh, the, the price isn't the price to these people. The rules aren't the rules. And we like our rules because we're German and we like rules. Germans, Germans do like <clears throat> rules. They, so they, anyway, there's they, that. They do. And, but, and, and I think that in part speaks to the specifics of his thing, too, right. is that we have rules yes. for setting up church. Right. And, and that's where I'm going with this, is he points out coffee shops and a multi-site model. Uh, church is not a coffee shop. Church is God's people gathered around word and sacrament. Now, that may happen in a coffee shop. But that's not, church is not serving nice lattes and scones. Yeah. And, and so there's a matter of propriety. When God's people gather around God's gifts, there's a matter of propriety. That's why we don't have church at a Derviner Schnitzel. Though you know that is a German name. <laughs> That's right. It would, it would cut, cut away the German argument. Right. Uh, no, though you could. I mean, the, the place where, you, where this gathering happens is largely irrelevant. Right. Um, I, I have. I, I remember when I lived up north, the pastor, that uh, the guy who was a pastor of the church I went to, organized a district-wide youth ski weekend uh, where we get several hundred youth all together up at like Squaw or Heavenly Valley or something like that. And I remember the, the, the place where they did the, uh, the Saturday night service, communion service, was, was basically the bar. They basically they got the bar. Mm-hmm. It was the biggest room at the uh, at the lodge where we were staying, and and we had run of the whole place, and and so they used the bar as as the the gathering place for for all the uh, gathered in one place things, and and so that's what we did, and it was it was reverent, it was liturgical, it was sacramental, it was all the stuff that you'd expect, uh, you know, a little compromised visually, but that's how it goes. <laughs> Um, I, I think the, there's, there's a flaw already in the notion of multi-site model. Ah. What does this mean? I think you touched on it. Is, is that, is, you know, the church is not a franchise operation where some successful congregation franchises itself out, you know, in now serving in six locations. In a Lutheran understanding, those are six congregations, right? Not six locations of one congregation. But this is a way to also set up a mission church. These days, is you have a sponsoring church that sets up a satellite congregation of itself, but they actually would have a pastor called to serve that congregation there. But it's part of ex Lutheran church, right? But still, you said the you said the word they 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 are a satellite congregation, right? You know, in Germany, speaking of Germany, the the, the thing was the, the the town or the city had the city church, and then there were the satellite churches of the the outlying right. Kind so of you the have the cathedral church, country church, and then the country churches, right? And if if uh, and this is according to Gunther Stiller's. Uh, account of Leipzig and its surrounding churches at the time of Bach, uh, you know, huge services at the cathedral in, in Leipzig, and then uh, daily services at the satellite churches. And yeah, the pastors went around and served. At each, confession was heard at at least one of those satellite churches every day. Uh, but And so it was a unified life. Right. Similar, another example would be Walther's Gesamtgemeinde, the, the, the uh, you. Uh, you know, it was four congregations in St. Louis that all kind of came out of Trinity, 
Lutheran Church, the, the mother church mm-hmm. in St. Louis. And they were considered a unified group, but they were four congregations. Um, this whole discussion, I think, speaks to the real reason why. It's not Lutherans jumping all over each other. Here's the thing. Lutherans have ecclesiology. Yeah. We have a doctrine of the church. And a lot of these models, multi-site models, coffee shop, church, whatever, this comes, from, this, this comes out of groups that do not have ecclesiology. Yeah, Any, there's they have no, no doctrine, doctrine of the call, of the no doctrine of the church. But l- let me throw this wrinkle in here also. A lot of these multi-site churches that are going on now, like Saddleback, you go to a location, say, in Santa Ana. And at that location... Church is piped in via closed-circuit TV. Now, right. now, there are some Lutheran churches that are talking about doing this, and they would have a pastor present to actually consecrate the Lord's Supper, but the sermon and everything else is coming through the, the TV. Now, at Saddleback, they actually have like four or five different services going on at the same time with different styles of music. I've seen that, And yeah. then when it's sermon time, Rick Warren's piped in. Right. Uh, so if that's the, the, the satellite model, that, that's fraught with all sorts of peril. Uh, the, <laughs> you know, the, what the, happens when your link goes down and that sort of thing? Well, yeah, no, there, I mean, there's, there's the techno problem, but yeah. that, that's a technological problem. I, I, I think a theological issue uh, remains. And I, I think it's... <clears throat> so the first thing is Lutherans have ecclesiology. We have a doctrine of the church. And that doctrine of the church is governed by our sacramentology. Yes. That is a doctrine of the sacraments. Right. That we believe that Christ is not generically present, but that he is specifically sacramentally present in the preached word and in the sacrament. And those are incarnate things. You, you can't just do these by remote control. You know, mm, take mm-hmm. your bread and wine, hold it up to the TV set, let the pastor and the TV set consecrate your bread and wine and have communion from afar. Well, why not? If it's the Word that does the, the action. Exactly. The See, but but that's, that's rending asunder all of these things. <laughs> yeah. I think we're particularly prone today in the techno age yeah. of, of de-incarnating things. We, we're talking about that when we're driving around, yeah. is that people have a hard time with face-to-face communication because most of our communication is done through the medium of, of telephone, texting, computers, email, whatever. I, I, I ran into this. I, I saw a news article just yesterday on, on uh, TV, and I've run into this in my own family with some of the younger people, that when I was 16, I couldn't wait to get my driver's license. The day that I turned 16, I was down at the DMV getting my driver's license, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Nowadays, you're 16, 17, 18, and... A lot of kids could care less because they're connected via Facebook and social media and all that through the computer. So instead of saying, man, I got to get over there so we can go to the movies, kids are happy with their notebooks sitting at home just typing at each other. <laughs> well, that's where we, we reveal ourselves to be sort of old farts because, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I, I or you have to make this trek on the freeway to record this right. show. yeah. And that's always fraught and with those, disaster. And those youngsters like Wolf Mueller and Gagline, they, they don't do that. No, they, they, they just, just they do it remote. Yeah. Uh, you know, even Borghart does this. It's all a remote. It's a remote gig. And We're remember, school, we man. tried that once. I want to go Thanksgiving. analog. I want to get rid of these digital recorders. Oh, yeah, I want some, I want some tape hiss. I want Dolby <laughs> back. Um, but, you know, we tried that once. Remember Thanksgiving? We did. Yeah, a, we we, did. And, and um, I don't like the sound quality. And I, it would cost us too much to do it. But there is something about that face-to-face conversation yeah. that you can't, you, you can't replicate no. just by talking into some sort of an instrument. Now, we're kind of a far field. That's not what they're saying here with multi-site churches. Right. But it is that impersonal kind of, you know, God's people are called to gather together. Well, potentially. I mean, so the multi-site model I understand is that you, that's, that's you, so you, deploy, you deploy lay ministers, trained whomever, to go, and, and they're at all these satellite locations, and we're not piping in the big guy on, on closed circuit or on, on live feed or something. But, but uh, you know, these are actually little congregations, but they're all sort of linked to the mothership. Right. Um, but see, therein lies another problem, and I know some specific examples of where ambitious churches tried to establish satellite congregations uh, virtually right next door to an established congregation yeah. or um, in another district. 
And so you have megachurch in District A uh, setting up a franchise operation in neighboring District B. And, and see, the thing is, we have, we actually, and maybe it's a German thing, I don't know, but we do have some polity. We have structure. We have, we have oversight. We have a, a way in which our congregations are organized as a unified fellowship of churches that are supposed to be kind of uh, on the same page. Well, this is a problem in some of our larger churches that have multiple services, like three services on a Sunday. You get the crowd that goes to the early service, the crowd that goes to the middle service, and the crowd that goes to the late service. You end up with three distinct congregations that don't interact with each other much. Unless they're on the church council or something like that. Well, that's or, a single site model. <laughs> yeah, or, or at a potluck. But otherwise, you know, you may go to the 8 o'clock service and never know anyone from the 11 o'clock service and go to church there for 30 years. Right. Uh, you know, so you, you get the segregation that occurs even on one campus uh, in some of our churches. See, I mean, I, I have a congregation that's almost half commuters, and some travel a long distance to get to our church. Uh-huh. But I think it's important that they actually travel a long distance to get to our church. Yes, they could hook up with an MP3 of the sermon and sit at home and listen to that. Right. Um, I'm not going to put the whole liturgy up because I don't want to pay for the, the, the copyright issues that go with, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, every hymn. You have to go, I don't have time yeah. or, or energy to do that. But I think it's important that we physically gather. Yes. Um, now, there's going to be exceptions. You know, the person at the South Pole, <laughs> you know, he's, got, he's in an exceptional situation over right. there. And, and I, I'm looking forward to talking to Rick a little bit about this. Um, but uh, this this whole idea that um, that we can we this big church establish these franchise churches wherever we want deploy our own guys you know again what is this that this there's another problem from a Lutheran perspective it's this rank congregationalism yeah um, I mean how would you feel if if uh, you know there you are with your little church in Pasadena or I with my little crowd in Hacienda Heights, and across the street, somebody just sets up, you know, some blankety-blank Lutheran church just out of nowhere, <laughs> and, uh, and then all your kids start going there because they, they got a cool band. Yeah. You know, and, and it's like, hey, praise the Lord, they're getting Jesus, you know, we're bringing people to Christ. Uh, yeah, maybe. Well, it, it was the old school parish model where you were the church for the area, but that doesn't exist anymore, especially with our our culture being so commuter driven, and especially here in Southern California, uh, people drive 50, 60 miles to work. So driving 20 miles to church isn't a big deal. So you find the church that, that you resonate with the most, instead of there being a uniformity of practice, it's, well, this one has the best band, or that one has the best pipe organ, or that one has you know, the most orthodox or least orthodox preacher, depending, and so yeah. forth and so on. And, and you know, we're, we're not alone in thinking like this. I mean, this is, this is a topic of conversation. Every Roman Catholic parish, uh, orthodox, the orthodox have trouble with overlapping jurisdictions of bishops. You know, they have to, mm. they have to coordinate the bishops so that they're not competing with each other. Oh, yeah, because you get, well, I don't know if this even comes into play, Russian, Greek, Armenian, Well, yeah, in America, so they're all mixed together. Yeah. They're used to being the national gig <clears throat> without any competition, Right, uh, uh, Anglicans, the Anglican Episcopal Church—they uh, don't—they don't do stuff like that. And I think the common thread is they are sacramental and they have an ecclesiology, and that's really what governs this. We got to take a break. I can't believe we tore through a half an hour, uh, but we'll be back. Have snow and mistletoe and presents on the tree. Christmas Eve will find.
Welcome back to the God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. And I'm Bill Swirla. Why do the Dickies always bring a smile to my they face? They are go-to, I'm telling you. <laughs> I love the Dickies. I always have. Always Man. will. Yeah. It makes me excited. <laughs> that brings uh, I want to jump up and down and wow. carry on. Like I, you know, crazy I, youth. There's no silent night quite like that one, is there? <laughs> no, no. That's... I think I might use that for my preschool Christmas program. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of cutting it loose this year. This, this would be good to uh, send the kids out on. Yeah, yeah. Just a, what you do is you give them a big dose of chocolate, and then five minutes later play this. chocolate, sugared Kool Aid, and the and Dickies. Send, send them home. Yeah, and. and Merry Christmas, folks. It's a good way to decrease, God bless you. decrease your enrollment right yeah, that, away. That well, yeah, that would, that's <laughs> that pastor. That is nice. Hey, speaking of, uh, what, what's your, we are in Advent. Yeah, we are. Uh, second, second week now in Advent. That's the second blue or purple candle or violet. You know, I, I was corrected the other day. <laughs> I said purple. It's not pink, it's rose. Uh, yeah, well, it's not purple, it's violet. <laughs> violet. Violets, violets. That's not a manly. You know color. what? We're, we're getting in in the Lutheran Church. We're getting right down politically correct on our colors. Oh gosh! I mean, it's, people are offended. You know the the uh, the caller who said Lutherans jumping all over each other, and then he brings up a mission model. That's nothing. You yeah. got to hang around with the liturgical. You, yeah, types. you need to talk about it, colors. It, it depends. You know, and, colors yeah. and what you do with your fingers, and yes. uh, you know how many steps you take uh, before pronouncing the benediction, and whether you cross your eyes or don't cross your eyes, yes. turn left, turn right. Uh, you know, it's enough to turn. It's man, it's enough to turn you into a Quaker. Or just, just sit throw the around. liturgy out the door. I'm all in favor. Just, just sit around in folding chairs and wait for somebody to hiccup. <laughs> Man. So, yeah. I'm starting to sympathize with Luther in 1526 when he says, you know, if we were true Christians, we wouldn't need all this stuff. <laughs> that drives people nuts okay, when he so talks th- like this that. Brings up but but I'm gonna, I was going to ask you, Christmas songs in yeah, Advent. Yeah. Well, what about decorating your home for Christmas before Christmas? You know, it used to be considered, I found this out uh, doing a little research, it used to be considered bad luck. Really? To put your Christmas tree up before December 24th. Ooh. Just in a secular sort of way, bad luck. I should tell my parishioners that. That would be interesting. <laughs> well, I notice you have a few. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you're, you're festive. Pa- Paula, you're you know, festive. She, she had the week off for Thanksgiving. And yeah. so she said, well, I'm going to get some of the Christmas decorating done early. And so she, she got some basics done. She's got her little village, Brother Ed, standing next to the church. He's Brother he looks, Ed. He looks he like the giant Hawaiian protecting the church. We're going to have to, I, I want a photograph of that. We're putting it up on the, on the yeah, site. That, so snap, give me a, I, send me a I picture. I already took five. Beautiful. Yeah, Just send yeah, me one of those. Don't worry yeah, about that. Yeah. Uh, Brother Ed at Christmas. You know, you know, I'll tell you, though, wearing that grass skirt with the snow scenes around, just that gives me the shivers. <laughs> he's, he's a little perky. Yeah. He's, uh, yeah. <laughs> wearing that in snow, you know, all men are created equal at that point. So <laughs> yes, the old uh, Seinfeld trinket oh. episode. Yes. Uh, that's actually know, so a stolen line from Garrison Keeler where he's talking about Norwegian ice fishermen. <laughs> Taking a, leak, ta- taking a leak at, you know, when it's 10 below zero outside the cardboard hut. Yeah. And he said it. Attention. I'm a little late. Sorry about this. This segment contains a home schooler alert. I Attention. should have seen it coming. Yeah. The no, there's no way of knowing that. a home schooler alert. All right. We'll cut so, that short. So the, the, the Christmas stuff in Advent and the, the, the ongoing struggle. See, I make a distinction between church and home. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Now, home. It's where the heart is. I don't. It is. Okay. But I don't really have a problem with listening to Bing Crosby's Christmas album and singing White Christmas and all that kind of stuff during Advent. That was written by a Jewish guy. Uh, uh, Irving. Yeah, Irving Berlin. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was what thinking. What was he writing of, Christmas songs for? Yeah, he couldn't get away with that. Okay, today. what's Barbara Streisand doing recording Christmas? Babs albums? makes yeah. money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, okay. Well, why not? Irving was cool. I liked Irving Berlin. Yeah, when I was stuff. in eighth grade, Miss McDade, <clears throat> uh, sort of a spinsterish, yeah, small, wiry, feisty little woman, uh, she did music and choir, and uh, she was a huge Irving Berlin fan. Waving. Oh yeah. 
and she just pound those out on the piano. Taught me how to. I was a p- I, I played piano, so so I did a lot of the accompaniment. But I remember a lot of Irving Berlin pieces. Yeah, patriotic stuff too. He loved. Oh, yeah. He loved his. He's his, proud of being American. Well, he's an immigrant, right? Yeah. Yeah. We uh, Paul and I are going to go see uh, the stage production of White Christmas over the performing arts. I love the Bing fun. Crosby movie. Yeah, it's yeah. great. So anyway, I make a little distinction between worship and and singing this sort of thing. Uh, at church and your home life. It's not exactly the same exact mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a problem with putting up the Christmas tree a couple of weeks before Christmas at home and all that. But church, decorating church for Christmas mm-hmm. before Christmas, I now I struggle with this every year with my congregation. They always want to put it up. They always want to light it. They always want to sing Christmas carols before Christmas because to the world in the secular realm, the Christmas season is before Christmas. Mm-hmm. But in the church, the Christmas season begins with Christmas. And so we have 12 days of Christmas starting on Christmas, not Christmas and forward. So in the secular world, the stations stop playing Christmas music after Christmas Day. In the sacred world, that's when we start playing Christmas Although music. Lexus continues its, its holiday deals through January. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Even past Epiphany, i got to hand it to them. Yeah. They have a good sense of the liturgy there. Wish I could afford one. <laughs> Didn't you used to drive one? No, Paula has an old one. Oh, does she? Yeah, it's, oh, okay. it's kind of old. It's getting some high mileage, but it's a great car. Uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I see your point. Um, we, we live in two kingdoms. We, you know, I was thinking either two kingdoms or what Jesus says of his disciples, that they are in the world, yet not of the world. The church is in the world, and yet not of the world. Um, there's something countercultural about about not going full bore. You know, the Advent has its own unique character. Mm-hmm. It's it's somber. It's it's watchful. It's expectant. Anticipation. Yeah, and and it deals a lot with like eschatology, last things, the coming of Christ. Um, and you shortchange all of that if you just go rushing right into Christmas. Everything Christmas all the time in church. Yeah. So I make a big deal about delayed gratification. For one, in the mm-hmm. church, and also for two, I, I I tell my folks, look, if you put the wreaths up, I'm going to put out Christmas or Easter lilies during Lent. <laughs> yeah, well, one good, and of course, they understand that's not appropriate to Lo- put out Lo- Easter lilies during Lent. Lowell Green once asked, I, I remember we were talking about this, and he says, he says, do you break out the birthday cake three weeks before the birthday? Yes, yeah. we do. Yeah. When it comes to Christmas, we do. No, but I'm saying in birthdays, you know, and that would be sacrilege because that sucker would be stale by the time the birthday comes. In fact, half the fun of birthdays is the anticipation. When I was a kid, I mean, you couldn't wait for, yes, your birthday. You didn't make the whole month your birthday. You couldn't wait for your birthday to arrive. Um, and, and that's what kind of a, I wrote a little book that I brought it for you here. We just had it printed up this this, oh. this year. It's Advent: A Season of Preparation, Hope, and Expectation. But I've got some little things uh, for in the home too. Uh, you know, seeking to revive some of those customs like Advent calendars, Jesse trees. Look at you! Um, Aren't you just the ambitious little guy? Well, you know what that is. That's that's an old thing that I, I blogged. I, I put up my blog, uh-huh. and some nice lady named Myrtle. Uh, she uh, typeset this, asked me if she could, and she said it. So she did all the artwork and the typesetting, and she did it for her church and then sent me a copy a couple of years ago and was really, really nice. And so this year I said, uh, could I have the PDF back? And I, or she corrected, or not corrected, but she, she made it fit our church on the back and the info. And uh, we had a printer who uh, sent their kids to uh, our preschool and printed up a really nice copy of that. That's, that's and, nice. And it's got the O antiphons and some uh, house devotions for Advent. Uh, and also a little history of Advent, what it's about. But, but anyway, you know, I, I like your idea, though. I, I think you can kind of ease into Christmas, the Christmas season at home. Yeah. Too. And uh, what my wife does is, is she likes kind of working into it because it's just it's too much work just to kind of binge decorate and the yeah, whole right, thing. And, right. And but but, you know, the tree will come in maybe around the second week or so. And then you start kind of casually decorating it. Yeah. So by the time Christmas actually arrives, everything's kind of in good working order. You know, we have people over and stuff like that. Um, in church, I like to keep the seasons very distinct. And, and really hold off on Christmas until it's Christmas. It's easy this year because we got a week, we have a full week of fourth, fourth week of Advent. Yeah. It's toughest when Christmas Eve 
is a Sunday. Yes. Because Eve <laughs> Eve means evening, and so December 24th, Sunday, is the fourth Sunday in Advent until the <clears throat> evening. And we've done that, actually. We have not set up the Christmas tree, had lunch, a bunch of people stayed afterwards. We got the whole place decorated on Sunday afternoon for the Christmas Eve service. That makes evening. for a long day. It does, but, yeah. uh, but that's, to, to me, that's living liturgically. Now, because Christmas is on a Sunday this year, that means New Year's Day is on a Sunday you also. You bet it is. So that cuts into your New Year's Eve celebration, which really <laughs> kind of makes me yeah, sad. You know, that uh, New, Year's, <clears throat> New Year's is the biggest non-event in my life. That's because you're old. Uh, it's always been that way. <laughs> I, I honestly can remember going to one, count them, one New Year's party when I was a junior in high school. You and just don't live. That's your problem. I, I don't like parties. <laughs> I, and I really don't like New Year's parties. <laughs> and, and, you know, it, it, no, there's, there's nothing. There's nothing. One year, a bunch of us from, from church went out for dinner. We, we had a New Year's Eve service, and then we went out for dinner to a, a place. And that was kind of fun. We had some of the younger families, people who didn't have, uh, you know, family or, or lots of friends around in the area. So it was kind of cool. Last year was an awesome New Year's Eve. Steve Mo and Emmy and Paula and I went to Don the Beachcombers. <laughs> And there's all this great exotica music. Uh, some guys from Combustible Edison were there, and, and it, was, it was awesome. It great was tiki rific. Tiki rific. So, anyway, so, I, I so the bottom to... line is you kind of you, you, you're sort of you're sort of loose in the the personal sphere. Yeah, do what you want at home. And I'm a libertarian. You do what you want in your house. Yeah, you know? and you know I'm I'm with you on that. I, I just or snow whatever. I you don't know, like, knock yourself hey, out. Well, you have a condo. You don't. Do you put lights up or anything? Yeah, I put some uh, up out front. I'll probably yeah, put those thinks, up in a week or two. Everybody thinks I'm, I'm a pagan because I you know our, our our block is dark. There's nothing going on in our block. Nobody decorates. Well, you're the only Caucasians on the block, right? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're there with a bunch of Buddhists and... and no, whatnot. I'm there with a bunch of uh, Mexicans and... and, and uh, oh, I thought you were in Chinese communist atheists. Yeah, I thought you were predominantly uh, Chinese. Yeah, there's Buddhists. There. A lot of Buddhists. Yeah. yeah. A lot of Buddhists. But, uh, and then there's this family down the block that has their lights up all year round, and they just seem to light them. They know to light them in December, so the switch is on now. But they've also lit, lit it, like, at the 4th of July and some other, you know, so it's kind of... Eh, this, these are multi-purpose lights, even though they look sure. like blue icicles. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so all, it's all I, good. I just, I just had the thought, maybe I'll put out Easter lilies during Advent when the tree goes up. Good call. And the wreaths go up. I'm just going to put out Easter. Good lilies. call, right there. I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm thinking. I don't know. Hey, let's go to the mailbag. Yeah, I, let's I, th- the I think we, we, we haven't we haven't visited. And then we're going to actually we're going to actually finish this liturgy thing. I'm determined. Could happen. We'll see. <laughs> I'm optimistic. All right. Tell me about the mailbag there, Bill. Oh, are you cutting the volume down for yeah, me? I got you. Uh, yeah, we have a little battle as to who's the engineer of this yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, You're engineering <laughs> on your computer. I'm engineering on the board. <laughs> yeah, that's, gonna, that's not going to work too well here. I'm, I'm just I'm going to fade that down there because right. that's driving me. Then absolutely. I'm pushing it back up. Night. All right. Uh, let's see. Stefan. Dear Manly Doctors, really enjoy your show. Recent episode, you pleaded with us not to listen to seven episodes in a row. I listen, no. I listen to six or seven episodes consecutively quite regularly on my trips home from college and back for break. He's young. He can handle it, I think. It's a seven-hour drive, and I need something to occupy me. <laughs> you know that commercial? What's that commercial? I think it's a Volkswagen where, where they're on this big road trip, and, and the guy says, no music, and yeah. he puts in, he puts in Rosetta Spanish French, French language, yeah. and, and, and uh, they start out just you know protesting, and, and they get out of the car finally to fill up speaking fluent Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what happens to him after six he, or he seven. He gets out just ADD. As I tried out. issues, etc., but they put me to sleep. Yes. <laughs> Inquire no more, you feral beast. <laughs> that makes it right there. Your show keeps me entertained and awake for the whole drive. Keep up wow. the good work. I eagerly await the release of a Swirlitzer album. And also the ska metal version of Jesus, a friend of mine, is awesome. So... <laughs> We, we need a Swirlitzer Christmas album. 
Well, I was talking. I, I, I was talking to, to to Chris Lemker about that just the other week. A Christmas album. I said. I said yes. we need Christmas Swirlitzer. That would be awesome. Uh, what do we got here? Pastors, no friends. Swirl. I've, re- I've I've enjoyed the recent discussions on liturgy. It's been surprising to me to hear remarks about how some things changed in our Lutheran liturgy as a result of the reforms that were made from the Roman Catholic Church's Vatican II. For example, the one-year versus the three-year lectionary. The response to "May the Lord be with you." Could you please point out and discuss? any other places or ways that reforms from Vatican II have influenced, changed, or affected our liturgy? I'm also very curious as to why changes that the Roman Catholic Church made slipped into our church body. <laughs> hmm. I'd love to hear any comments or information you might have on that. This is your area more than mine here. Uh, Sacrosanctum Concilium 1962, the document on the, litur- uh, document on the reform of the liturgy from Vatican II. Remember it well. Wow. I did a paper on it. I'm impressed. Did a lot of research. Yeah, Jack Price under Jack Price. The Back when he was a professor. Third. Yes. J-A-O-3-P-O, yeah. as we used to call it. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think uh, the answer is kind of, um, it, it, that's a difficult answer. Why, why has what goes on in the Catholic Church um, in Vatican II filtered into the Lutheran Church? I'm going to um, take a guess at this. Go ahead. Because we're Catholic. I think that's, uh, you know, if, if you're going to look around to see what's going on, you look there first. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are, in many senses, we're evangelical Catholics right. or, or Reformed Catholics, not Reformed in the sense of Calvinist, but, but, uh, but we are, we are uh, Western Catholics who have come through the Reformation. Right. Uh, and just as Luther did not rewrite the liturgy from scratch, but took the canon of the Mass and reformed it very uh, selectively. Mm-hmm. And very conservatively, uh, so even today we uh, we look uh, to see what Rome's up to. Uh, Rome has been as much influenced by the Lutheran Reformation as Lutherans have been influenced by Vatican II. Interesting, as Vatican II illustrates. Yeah. I think uh, that's one of the conclusions I came to is that that was a very, if you would, Protestantizing move on the mm-hmm. part of the Catholic Church. Some of which is now being reversed by the current Pope. Right. Uh, I lost a parishioner to Rome not too long ago. And he became of the opinion that really, uh, since Vatican II, the Lutherans and the Romans are not really any different anymore. Uh, you still and have to I, you still have to test it on justification. Yeah, and that's that's the problem. But faith alone, grace alone. But I think we really have, in practice, drawn much closer together. Well, I think a lot of the abuses that really caught the eye of a lot of people in Luther's day are just not there. Yeah. That uh, that that once were, and and I think that's so. That's kind of one reason. I think the other reason is we our if you look at it as overlapping sets, like a Venn diagram, you know, um, our, we overlap more with the Roman Church than just about anybody. And the big areas of overlap are we're sacramental. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a doctrine of the ministry. We have a doctrine of the church. Historical, uh, anchored in history. And and so um, when when they do reforms, uh, these are things worth uh, uh, for us that are worth considering as well. Mm-hmm. Um, quite frankly, uh, a lot of the old Lutheran stuff was and is in need of some retooling. You know, the liturgy is not a museum piece that <laughs> just sits there static and you keep dusting it off and. Uh, and, uh, you know, <laughs> or it's not like a CD that you just keep playing over and over and over again like classical music, but it is a living thing. It's, it's, it's the living prayer and proclamation of the church. Um, One-year versus three-year lectionary, lots of debate about that, uh, even within Catholic circles. Well, for some, it's a test of orthodoxy. <laughs> yeah, well, it, you know, the three-year lectionary was intended to expose people to more Scripture right. and, and what Lutheran can argue with more Scripture. Um, on the other hand, it unplugged you from the history of preaching and teaching that had gone before, and that's also true in the Catholic Church, too. Yep. So question as to whether it really contributes in the long run to biblical literacy or not. Um, we're kind of caught in an interesting thing, and we're both going to—you're three-year? Yep. Yeah. Um, Advent two and three this year are going to be challenging. A friend of mine pointed this out because— uh, we're in series B, Mark. Right. Series A, Matthew. B, Mark. C, Luke. John sprinkled all over. Uh, in in series A and C, the Matthew and the Luke series, uh, Advent two, preaching of John the Baptist, voice calling in the wilderness. Right. Uh, Advent three, what Jesus has to say about John. Who did you go out to see? You know, greatest born among women. 
among women, yeah, et cetera. So, uh, but <laughs> the trouble is in Mark, you don't have that second thing. So what do they do? They plug in John. One, same mm. text. Yeah, yeah. Basically the same. I've as, noticed that. Yeah. yeah. And so, so the, the challenge is going to be, how are you going to preach two Sundays in a row on John the Baptist not saying the same thing? That's why God created a Old Testament and epistle <laughs> text. The challenge I gave my friend was try to determine or ascertain um, the difference between Mark's view of John and John's view of John the baptizer, hmm. because they're different. Um, John in John is, is martus, is witness. Mm-hmm. Uh, John in Matthew is prophetic forerunner. They hmm. are different. John in, in the Gospel according to St. John won't even admit he's a prophet. Hmm. You know, who are you? They said, Elijah? No. The Christ? No. Are you the prophet? No. Who are you? A voice. <laughs> you know, see, John is a nothing. He is absolutely, he is a mathematical point. He's a zero. Yeah. Um, and I think John is writing that because there's still a cult of John the Baptist floating around when John's writing his gospel. Right, so right. he's got to get John to say, he must increase, I must decrease. Yeah, I, I like to preach John as the giant finger. That would be more John, the, the gospel according to St. John. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin right, of the, the world. The martyrion. Yes, the, that's right. That's, that's John's view. Whereas in, in, in the synoptics, John is a much more... Um, he's sort of a bridge between the Old Testament and the New. He's Elijah. He, he, you know, see, in John, he denies he's Elijah. Right. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus says he's Elijah for those who believe. See, so, so, yep. so you've got, in, in, in the synoptics, John is the prophetic voice calling Israel to repentance back into the wilderness, uh, whereas in, in, um, in John, he is, he is, he is the witness uh, the one pointing the way to the Lamb and basically saying, i got to get out of the way. You know, he's, but see, Mark is in such a hurry to tell the story. He gets Jesus baptized, and boom, John's gone. He's arrested. <laughs> he doesn't even tell you how he lost his head. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah. so anyway, but you know, you got that. Um, hmm. Hey, have you read, speaking of Vatican II, have you read how uh, they've gone back to now uh, and with your spirit? Yeah, I heard about that. Now, there's a reform we ought to follow. I'm with you. You know, we could have led the charge on that, but the Commission on Worship wouldn't let us. And Why not? And by us, I mean the Liturgy Committee of LSB. Right. We wanted to make a uniform response, the Lord be with you and with your spirit. And they said, oh, no, too many, people, too many people are used to and also with you. We're not going to. That was intentionally an accommodation hymnal. You know, let's, I, let's get everybody was, together in one book. I thought that that was an accommodation to the Star Wars fans so that with the force be <laughs> with you, you can you. respond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, five minutes. Let's do this liturgy thing. All right. Speaking of liturgy, yeah. we'll, we'll, we can come back to this, but, uh, but some good, good, good points from this is Teresa. Uh, Teresa, Teresa, however she says her name. Uh, thanks for writing in. Um, I got a little liturgy snippet here. This is Divine Service 3, also TLH. Okay. Somebody, somebody was quibbling with me on one of the emails that they're not the same thing. He said it sounded more like LSB than TLH. Newsflash, they are essentially the same. So. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is ruled. The Lord be with you. Here it comes. Fold Amen. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, that's a good example of a little bit of liturgical deep structure. Yeah. Uh, not just one, but three. You know, the sort of a divine completeness. Some would see the Trinity in all the threes, and that's not, that's not bad either. You know, there's a threefold repetition of the name. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you. Um, 
Before we, uh, before we do the, uh, the benediction, though, there are three prayers. Mm-hmm. Two, uh, two originally in the, in the Lutheran, in the, in the old Lutheran liturgy, and three uh, in the current one. Well, that, that's divine. Two has three. This one has two. Ah, right? you're, you're looking at, that's, yeah, that's TLH revived. So, so we'd have to go to two. Yeah. So, so you get, you, you get after the communion, we give thanks to Almighty God that you have refreshed us through this salutary gift, and we implore you that of your mercy would strengthen us through the same in faith toward you and in fervent love toward one another. That's Luther. Right. 1526. And you see, you see that, that, that <coughs> emphasis from Luther from his On the Liberty of the Christian, his writing in 1520, that the Christian lives in Christ by faith and in his neighbor by love. And so we pray that these gifts would strengthen those things, faith toward Christ and faith toward God and love for neighbor. The second one, O God, the Father, the fountain and source of all goodness, who in loving kindness sent your only begotten Son into the flesh, we thank you that for his sake you have given us pardon and peace in the sacrament, and we ask you not to forsake your children, but always to rule our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit that we may be enabled constantly to serve you. We used to say to serve you constantly, <laughs> and then they moved it to the other side, or we did. I forgot why. Oh, well. Drives me nuts when I chant it. That's uh, Sarah Missal, 13th century, uh, a priest's prayer. Nobody knows who made it into a post-communion prayer, but, uh, but it used to be a, a priest's prayer prayed silently by the priest at the altar huh. during the communion. I always wondered where that came from. Yeah, Sarah Missal. Uh, wonderful poetry. Oh, God, the Father, the fountain and source. Or I learned it as font and source. Love that. Um, that's my favorite one. I bet you Cranmer had a hand in that one. And then the new one written for LSB, Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, you have given us a foretaste of the feast to come in the holy supper of your Son's body and blood. Keep us firm in the true faith throughout our days of pilgrimage that on the day of his coming we may together with all of your saints celebrate the marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom, which has no end. Um, not bad for Advent and particularly appropriate for um, Lent, looking forward to the sacrifice of the lamb. But that one has that eschatological element, foretaste of the feast to come, right. uh, recognizing that there's something greater than the sacrament, and that is the presence of Christ, visible. <laughs> we, can go, we can go into overtime for about a minute. Have you calculated that? No. Yes. Let me just, I just want to say a word or two about the ironic benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. Hmm? Yeah, go for it. Number six, it's the, priest, uh, it's the priestly benediction, blessing of, of the high priest, the son Aaron or one of his sons over Israel. This is how the priest is to bless the people. Um, and uh, and it, Luther Reed says this is a uniquely Lutheran usage. I, I was wondering about that. But, the, you know, the Nook in the in the divine service is a, a Lutheran usage. This also, uniquely Lutheran. That I did not know. Uh, he said we would naturally expect the Pauline benediction, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Uh, however, the Lutheran, uh, Lutherans have, have taken the Old Testament benediction and made it a New Testament one. I think it's fascinating. <laughs> this, is, this is very similar, I think, to taking the Psalms and tacking on glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, telling you that the Lord of whom the Psalms are speaking is the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Hmm. So, so it's, this is the Old Testament come into the New, and now the pastor, uh, as priest before the people, blesses the priestly people of God with the same words that Aaron once blessed the people of Israel. So it's actually kind of cool. I was actually asked about that not too long ago, so that's, that's nice to have that background. Because I didn't know why we did the Aaronic benediction necessarily well, since it's an Old Testament thing. You know, uh, it's, it's hard to trace. Uh, he, he, uh, Reed at least has difficulty tracing, you know, where this first uh, happens. Luther suggests in his Latin Mass of using the words from numbers or a passage from the Psalms or something. But it's clear that they don't have uh, an ending. Um, the, the Mass doesn't really end all that well anyway in the Roman canon. I think it's, you know, basically get out of here, Mass is ended. Um, Speaking the of Swedes, <laughs> The Swedes 
add in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit at the end of the ironic benediction, kind of in the way of the Psalms. Well, that's pretty good. So yeah. we're out of time. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. He taught me how to live my life as it should be. He taught me how to turn my cheek when people laugh at me. I've had friends before, and I can tell you that. He's one who will never leave you flat. Jesus is-